Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. This is uh, the Wednesday, May 31st edition. You know, I was talking earlier today, I can't believe the month of May is already over with. Uh, so uh, it's been a very active uh, month of May, and we're going to talk a little bit about that before we get into our show tonight. But thanks, everyone, who is uh, joining us. We're talking to Jim Williams tonight from HurricaneCity.com. Uh, we start the uh, tropical season tomorrow is the official start of the uh, the 2017 tropical season. So we're going to kind of give a little preview of what Jim uh, expects to happen over the uh, next few months in the tropics. So looking forward to that. This is a live broadcast. So if you are watching tonight, please feel free to uh, interact with us via our Twitter uh, page, our Facebook page. Uh, if you're watching after the show, we'll let Jim share his social media and uh, you can uh, listen on our podcast as well. So uh, like I said, it's been an active start of, uh, or active May. Uh, it's been an active week. I know that Ricky and I were both out last week because of severe weather. So, um, you know, it's just been one of those Mays around here that we've had a lot of severe weather. But first, before I get to uh, any of our panelists, or all our panelists, I'm going to toss it to James, who uh, experienced some of those uh, severe thunderstorms today in the Charlotte area. And James, uh, it's been kind of a, a stormy afternoon in Charlotte, and you guys uh, saw a little bit of everything. And hopefully, Scotty, I won't walk out of a, a Wi-Fi ranch here in front of uh, my house. So the sun is back up in the of the day. The temperature is relatively nice. I got 66 right now. So I'll just, I'll just physically turn it down as any sort of actual local report. But just to give an, an idea of how much rain we got here uh, in South Charlotte not too long ago, there is just on the other side of that bush uh, a drain that comes down from the roof, and all of that water just kind of slid uh, that pine star right here. So that's, you know, that I don't know if that really speaks to it. Obviously, that is kind of a loosely packed landscaping, but uh, in the six months I've lived here, that's never happened before. So uh make its way towards the drain right now but it actually is is quite quiet and peaceful and you would not know that we had uh, quite the torrential downpour for a half or so radar estimates about uh three inches here on the south side of charlotte uh this is uh, about 45 providence road area but uh, it put on a quite the evening show just in time for the pm rush well, we're glad uh, we're glad that you you were able to rebuild from that. But yeah, definitely some. Uh, <laughs> we will recover. I know. I know. That's that's, about the, that's the most impressive thing I can show you in range of the Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but no, all, all jokes aside, it was a stormy afternoon in Charlotte, and glad that uh, that there was really no major damage. Uh, I know uh, we had some heavy rain and some trees uh, reported down throughout the uh, metro areas. So uh, thankfully, nothing uh, too too major. So. Uh, we're going to toss it over to Ricky Matthews, who, uh, Ricky, uh, it's been a, a very busy week for you guys uh, up in East Tennessee. Tell us uh, what's been going on. Yeah, Wednesday we had a few, uh, well, we had a tornado watch come out, actually, last week on Wednesday, hence why I wasn't here, and uh, really didn't get a ton of severe weather out of it. Uh, we got storms earlier in the day, coming through around 11 to 12 to 1 or 2 o'clock. Uh, that produced hefty damage, a few microbursts across the area. Uh, then we had storms Saturday, too, uh, in the afternoon, which was always fun. And then we had that derecho come through uh, at 11 o'clock. So we have had a couple rounds of storms and now dealing with uh, a few pop-up showers and storms around the area. Nothing too hefty, a few downpours here and there. Uh, and temperatures that are pretty nice for this time of year. It's got upper 70s, low 80s. And uh, there's no race here at BMS anytime soon, so I'm not really sure why it's raining. 
Typically, we have to have some big event scheduled to get, you know, lots and lots of rain. At least that's how it always seems to go. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's you know, you're talking about the races. Uh, the Charlotte area saw the two weeks of NASCAR. And um, I think during that time, we dealt with maybe three, four, five uh, uh, rounds of severe weather. Uh, then the race was actually affected a Sunday evening from a thunderstorm. And uh, like you said, tornado watch up last Wednesday, which was why I wasn't here. I was out at the Speedway um, helping uh, over the thousands and thousands of campers, making sure that they were alerted and safe from that. So it's been a very stormy, uh, stormy week and a stormy month for North Carolina. I know severe weather taking place. Uh, up in the Greensboro area tonight. Uh, yesterday, there was a uh, straight line wind damage event, a uh, damage event uh, just south of Raleigh in uh, Sampson County. And, and Ricky, I, I know you and I were talking about this earlier. I, I can't remember the exact path, but up to 90 mile per hour wind at, at some times. And uh, I know you guys had a tornado a couple of weeks ago, but you know, weaker tornadoes that we see around here and those damage and straight line winds, they, they kind of produce similar uh, damage. Well, even the microbursts we had with those line of storms that came through, I would probably estimate winds for, oh, probably 60 to 80. We have pretty big trees down in spots. Um, the damage was, that, that's the key indicator to me. The damage was more widespread from that microburst. You know, when you look at the damage path, the damage region, uh, you can almost sometimes distinguish whether it was a tornado or straight line winds from that alone because the tornado, you usually have a concentrated path of damage. Uh, with these wind events we've been having, we've had more widespread damage. That one in Samson County you're talking about, craziest stat from that I think was 16,000 turkeys that were killed mm -hmm. from the uh, yeah. 80 to 90 mile per hour downburst winds. So interesting storms that have come rolling through it. And that one uh, didn't have a severe thunderstorm warning on it, which brings up you know another interesting point about radar coverage in North Carolina um, that we've discussed many times before, and I'm sure we'll continue to discuss until some metal gets put up with a radar beam on top of it somewhere in North Carolina. We're hoping so, somewhere between Charlotte and Greensboro. Um, like you said, Ricky, um, you know, a lot of mobile homes damaged yesterday too, and, and those mobile homes are very, um, very dangerous to live in when, when you have high winds like that. So our thoughts are with those uh, folks who are recovering from that. Uh, I want to go up. I, I see Shay's here, so I'll let Shay get settled in for just a second. I'll go up to Peter first. And, and Peter, you are not in the Carolinas, but you've also been experiencing some stormy weather up there in the Northeast. We have not seen the sun since Saturday morning. Today was the first day we actually saw the sun. So it was a, it was a very happy day for me. But uh, we need some like vitamin D pills around here or something. I don't know. But uh, yeah, this whole month has just been up and down like a big roller coaster. It's uh, very below average this whole month. Uh, normally, we're like around 78, 79 this time of year. But we've been 60s, 70s, uh, a couple 50s, 90s. I mean, we've been all over the place. And uh, seven of the last 10 days, we've been cloudy. So it's just been really, really gloomy and unsettled and horrible around here. Um, also, we've had 6.33 inches of rain so far this month, too which is three inches above normal. So everything's above normal, below normal. It's all over the place. Uh, next couple of days, though, not looking too bad, I guess. Uh, sun, some storms, mixed bag of everything. Uh, 70s and 80s coming back, too. So, uh, yeah, hopefully June is uh, looking better for us. But uh, I think the Climate Prediction Center had below average again for us. So just can't get out of the doom and gloom, I guess. Yeah, it's been like that here in the southeast too. A lot of um, a lot of stormy patterns and, and rain and stuff like that. So, 
Speaking of a nice place to be, let's go down to Shay Gibson, who's in Charleston, South Carolina. And Shay, how's things been down there along the uh, coast? Pretty hot and muggy, actually, the last couple of days. We had uh, some really nice weather of the weekend for Memorial Day. Pretty hot temperatures for Sunday, but uh, it, it was it was pretty nice for Friday and Saturday, at least. The sea breezes came up, so it was really nice, moderate winds on the beaches. And uh, hey, kiteboarding, man, it was great. Really good time. <laughs> Uh, sea surface temps are about 80 degrees now and uh, maybe down to 82 in southern Georgia, but they're warming up fast. And so, so is the Gulf of Mexico, for that matter, along the loop current. Uh, ran the NASA Sport SST uh, sea surface temperature loop, and it is warming up out there along our oceans. So right at the, the start of the tropical season, uh, we're already almost at optimal temps for tropical system. Uh, so that that's uh, right on target for, for what the hurricane season why it starts on June the 1st. And sometimes we see early activity, but uh, nothing as of yet. We are watching an area. It is uh, Tropical Depression 2E, and that is in the Eastern Pacific, just south of Mexico, south of Oaxaca and Chiapas. And uh, that is forecast to become a tropical storm. So that would be Beatrice. And uh, it is expected to make some sort of landfall and possibly the GFS is bringing it across into the Gulf, but we will have to wait and see what happens with that. It's kind of a long shot, but there is um, there is some indication of that. I don't want to get too much into the tropics because I know our guest has a lot to speak about it. But for the southeast region, pretty hot and muggy. We have a lot of troughing overhead. Uh, what to expect is continued cloudiness, uh, mixed mixed layers of clouds. We'll probably see some afternoon storms pop here and there over the next few days, at least until Friday, Saturday, and Sunday when things sort of clear out again. Uh, Peter, you were talking about cool pattern. And uh, looking a little bit beyond up to about June 7th and 8th, it looks like a large ridge is going to build down from the north from Canada. So we could be looking at some pretty cool temperatures, actually, or I should say mild for the for near summer temperatures uh, diving down to the southeast. So that uh, northerly winds, you know what that means, and, and you might feel it up there in Jersey. So back to you, Scotty. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm done. I'm ready for it to be 80, 90 degrees of summertime. I'm tired of this cold, cooler stormy pattern it's let's get this atlantic ridge to build in let's get some warm warm temperatures here i mean why couldn't we have this pattern back in january huh <laughs> i know anyway. right? well, hey you know enjoy these cool spells before the heat comes on because you know that's how it is in the southeast it's gonna and hot everywhere for that matter uh but yeah we had i think it was last year uh, we had a nice little northeast event that set up right at the middle of June. And man, I'll tell you, it felt great. I mean, high temperatures were only around 80 and the, and the nighttime temperatures were upper 50s. It felt awesome. So take it while you can get it. That is true. Well, I'm going to toss it over to Ricky and he's going to bring in our guest tonight. We are talking about the tropics. So if you are watching tonight, make sure you uh, follow along with your uh, simulcasting on Facebook Live. Also follow us on Twitter. Please uh, feel free to send any questions in, and we'll make sure we get them to our guests. So, Ricky, if you're ready, I'll uh, I'll toss it to you, and we'll get started tonight. Yeah, sorry, I was. Uh, we just had a quick little microburst happen in our downburst in the uh, city of Hampton. The ASOS reported a 60 mile per hour wind gust on a storm there, and I was looking at some of the radar images and uh, creating a little graphic. But we'll jump into tropical weather instead and get out of thunderstorms. We've talked about enough of that. Uh, very happy to bring in Jim from HurricaneCity.com on our show this week. Jim, welcome. I'm glad to be here and I'm sorry I don't have my video working, but uh, we'll, we'll trudge through it. I have a I have a face for radio anyway, so maybe this is for the best. <laughs> See, now you, can sit around your, now you can sit around your pajamas and no one even cares. 
Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, tell us a little bit about what Hurricane City is uh, and how long it's been around. Hurricane City, I developed in GeoCities way back in 1997 and uh, built the site with plain HTML, I didn't use any stencils or anything, and uh, purchased the domain in early 98 and uh, put it online as a domain and been running it for, uh, uh, what's going on, 20 years now on the internet. And actually, I used to do live shows way back before anybody else was doing it. I Back in the late 90s, I uh, used real audio player and did audio-only shows that were live. We'd cover hurricanes, talk while they were hitting land and talk to people that were in the storm. It was a lot of fun. And then, of course, everything evolved with the Ustream and YouTube and all these other ways of broadcasting. And I, I admire what you guys are doing, by the way. And I did catch your interview with Levi Cohen the other day, uh, the, a couple of weeks back. That was a great interview. Appreciate that. Um, but uh, Hurricane City, what Hurricane City is about is when there's a system affecting land or heading towards land, I feature the city or island that's in harm's way. And when you click on the city or island, it gives you all the local webcams, radio feeds, radar images, news, power outages, Twitter feeds, everything from the affected areas. And uh, I also have best performing models on the site. What we do is calculate all the models and break it down to the five best performers and they display on the map along with the cone of error from the National Hurricane Center. All the products, uh, as far as the tracking, is from the National Hurricane Center, so there's nothing made up at our end or anything like that. It's all uh, extracted from NHC, and we do live shows like you're doing, still do them. In fact, tomorrow I'm having my hurricane season kickoff show, which I've been doing for, I don't know, 13, 14 years uh, doing that show. So, And I have a database where you can search your city or island and find out all the statistics from where you live, how many hurricanes, how many tropical storm, hurricane to tropical storm ratio, the most likely time of the year that your city is going to get hit. Um, it gives the whole hurricane history of all the hurricanes that have ever hit that area and what the details are. And that's basically what the site's about. And I see you have the uh, screen capture up. Um, that's a GIS map. That's everything is done through GIS maps on the front page and the countdown clock is activated when there's an active system out there and we use the range rings of the tropical storm force wind field and measure that against the, uh, it's based on the official forecast from NHC and the countdown clock is activated at that time and it counts down till the tropical storm force winds arrive. And below the tracking map, we have uh, different GIS maps that you can click on to see different like water temperatures, zoomed in satellite, uh, Hurricane Hunter aircraft fixes, which shows the actual Hurricane Hunter logo on the screen. And you can follow the plane around as it flies into the storm. And when you click on it, it takes you to a page with all the detailed observations in English so you can understand what's going on from the aircraft. And Let's see, we have, even have the radars from the aircraft from time to time when they're available, ships and buoys from all over the Atlantic. Uh, in fact, the surge potential maps are pretty cool. You can tell what each category hurricane is capable of in your area when a hurricane is on the move. And uh, those are also from the National Hurricane Center. Um, so they, you know what? It, interesting. I, I just saw that you did click on that, and sometimes they load, sometimes they don't. I don't know what's going on with that. I gotta 
find out what's happening. It did load the other day when I clicked it. Um, what browser is this? This is, uh, yeah, there we go. It may also be the uh, sharing. Yeah, my, my computer is pretty maxed out right now, Jim. It's doing <laughs> Facebook and Periscope and Hangouts, and so uh, I apologize if it's uh, lagging a little bit here, and maybe somebody else will want to drive our, uh, our tour. You know what you might want? Oh, this is an interesting show. This is another GIS. These are all shapefiles on here. This shows up radar all over the country, and uh, the Puerto Rico radar is on that as well. Um, and the Virgin Islands, I believe, um, and that should be showing the satellite as well. That might, that occasionally is inoperable, but that the best page for the for all the information is basically the main track and map on the front page, where you can zoom down to street level almost, and you can get population numbers for all the areas that could be impacted by a storm. And the red blinking light is based on the current featured city, which is Marathon, Florida. And uh, that's just basically will be moved around the map when the, whatever featured city I have up there when a hurricane is on the move. That's the city of most concern when a system is active out there. So this is really, you know, a labor of love almost for you. Um, wh where did the inspiration to create a hurricane website come from, you know, back in the days when the Internet was kind of still in its infancy? Well, yeah, I started this a long time ago, back in the late 90s, and, and the only site that was out there at the time that I saw was the Weather Underground, and there was a couple of people that were interested in hurricanes, but there was really nothing in the private sector that was strictly for hurricane tracking. And so I decided to make a site that was not just about tracking the hurricane, but talk, talking about where they're going to go, because that's what everybody wants to know. Where are hurricanes going to go? They don't want to just know how many that are out there, what the ACE is, and all these other statistics. People want to know where they're going to go, and that's what, that's what motivated me to make Hurricane City, so people could follow a storm and then project based on model data where it may go, and then I, I've always featured the city that I thought, based on model data, was going to be the most impacted by a hurricane as it's on the move. So I felt like people want to see what's going on, get you down to street level, see what's going on with the webcams, radars, everything you would need from the affected area. And the only way I could do that is by building a website. And, you know, uh, even when I was back back in high school, back in the uh, early 80s, um, I, I even had the no weather radio. I'd bring it with me to school to listen to the latest information coming out of the National Hurricane Center. I've been obsessed with hurricanes since probably middle school. And uh, I, I, what really got me into hurricanes was the late Bob Weaver on WTVJ Channel 4 in here in South Florida, the CBS affiliate, which was NBC at the time. And he would come on and talk about tropical waves coming off Africa, and he'd show a tracking map. And I would be obsessed with tropical waves coming across and the grids on the tracking map. So what I decided to do is make a gigantic tracking map, and I put it on my wall in my bedroom, and it covered the entire wall. And, uh, and I, I still have one to this day. Actually, it's made out of a door skin, and I'd love to show it to you, but my camera isn't working. But it's, uh, it, it's a big, gigantic door, screen, uh, door skin with the grids on it, with the latitude, longitude maps. And it shows only all the Category 5 hurricanes that have made landfall in the Atlantic Basin. 
since you, 1900. Do you have a storm that impacted you, uh, you know, years ago that kind of uh, reinforced your interest in hurricanes? Well, I guess you could say maybe Hurricane David in 79. That was uh, right around the time that I really, really started getting interested to where it was an obsession with me. But even though it didn't hit South Florida, it, well, it actually came, the eye did touch shore in West Palm Beach. But I was living in Fort Lauderdale, so it was kind of a brush for us in Fort Lauderdale. But I remember all the tree limbs down and all the hype regarding it. And ever since then, I've just been crazy about hurricanes. Yeah, Jim, you're talking my language because that came right over Charleston. And uh, I was young, and that's what got one of the another reason it got me hooked on weather myself. Yeah, David was uh, one that could have been. Of course, you know, it killed a lot of people in the Dominican Republic. I think 1,200 people died down there. And it hit there as a Category 5. Uh, came right into Santo Domingo and just leveled towns and leveled forests and just killed a whole bunch of people. And then, of course, by the time it came out the other end near Haiti and the southeast Bahamas, it was down to a Category 1. And we all thought it was going to regenerate and become a major hurricane and hit Florida. So naturally, the coverage was through the roof on that. But it, it, it never really recovered. It, it got back up to Category 2 and kind of skimmed the Florida coast, uh, starting at West Palm Beach, and then went right up toward the Carolinas and made landfall up there. But uh, that was my first big one. So talk to us a little bit about what Hurricane City does, let's say from the time a storm forms to the time it makes landfall. Well, from the time it forms, we have the invest on the map at Hurricane City, you know, the investor 90L through 99L. And the models start running at that time. We run the BAM and the um, uh, the uh, the other model is slipping my mind at the moment. But there's two of the generic models that the early cycle models that just show the early cycle thinking of the models. And then after about 24 hours, all of the models show up on the model maps at Hurricane City. The best performers, of course. And then from there, the, the cone of air will show up from the National Hurricane Center once it becomes a tropical depression. And then I'll start featuring a city or island that I think is at high risk. And that's based on strike probabilities and model projections. And I have a really good track record at figuring out where they're going to go probably five to seven days out. Um, sometimes I'm outside the cone of air from the National Hurricane Center. And, but usually I'm in the cone of air. That's how good the National Hurricane Center is. Very rarely are they, you know, four or five days out, does it go outside the cone? If any, it's, it's very slightly outside the cone. And then, of course, I move that featured city based on future model runs and what the track of the hurricane is, whether it's, ch it's changing or the pattern up front of the hurricane is changing. And then I'll, I'll shift cities or islands accordingly. And one of the things you do each year uh, is kind of forecast what cities you think may be impacted as well, right? That's right. Before each hurricane season, I used to do it on June 1st on my kickoff show, but the last few years I decided on May 15th to release my cities and islands that I think are at high risk. So what I do is take the 152 cities in the Hurricane City database and break it down into 20. And the 20 are found based on how many named storms I expect the upcoming hurricane season. The last four years, I've been pretty good at that. I've only been off by about one storm a year the last four years. In fact, that's just about as good. That's just as good as AccuWeather and WeatherBell. 
and some of the other forecasters like Phil Klotzbeck have not done quite as well the last four years in picking the amount of named storms there's going to be. So that's the most important factor. How many named storms are there going to be? So, for example, this year I'm expecting 12 to 14. Uh, originally it was going to go 13 to 15. Then the talk of El Nino started uh, in April, and that's when I made my forecast. So I kind of stuck with the April forecast, which was for a weak El Nino going into the late in the season. Looks like that might not happen now. We might be more in a neutral type situation. So maybe my original 13 to 15 is probably more likely what we would see coming up, but that won't change my predictions as far as my cities. So, and I also factored on due or overdue cities based on return rates. So I, once I get my top 20 based on those criteria, then I start breaking it down based on ENSO analog years, the North Atlantic oscillation, whether it's positive or negative, uh, trends such as if a hurricane hit an area eight years ago, what's going to happen, what, what happened eight years down the road, that sort of thing. And the, of course, the number of named storms, how many times has that city been hit when there's been the expected number of named storms that I'm expecting. And each city gets a, a yellow box if it wins each category. Whoever ends up with the most yellow boxes on the predictions gets into my top five. And that's how I arrive at my top five. The last 13 out of 15 years, I've got it at 50% of my top five have been impacted, which is pretty good considering I started with 152 locations. Is this like a, like a, a coded model you run or kind of like, um, you know, a lot of data analysis? How do you go about doing the actual number crunching? Well, as I, if, you, if you can go back, yeah, that page right there, just scroll down a little further. Um, keep going down, down. You'll see a, a box with a bunch of yellow. There you go, right there. Um, this is where the number crunching comes in, and what I there's the top 20 on the left. So the first category is how many times has this city or island been hit when there's been 12 to 14 named storms since 1990, and the winner uh, down there is Cape. Um, uh, my number one pick, which is Sable Island, Nova Scotia, that wins that category. Then the next category over is uh, based on the um, – actually, let me get that. Um, it's based on ENSO analog years, which I kind of screwed up on that because I was going based on a, an El Nino-type season, so we can kind of disregard this column. But the winner in that one was Halifax, Nova Scotia, three seasons. They were hit when there was similar analog years to what I'm expecting this year. Then we talk about do or overdue for a tropical storm. The winner is the Cayman Islands. In that category, six years, which that area hardly ever is overdue for a named storm, much less a hurricane. And they're also overdue for a hurricane by two years. Uh, then we have uh, the average number of named storms. This is important. I was Again, I'm expecting 12 to 14 named storms. And I was kind of leaning on the low end of the scale when this chart was made. And that would be Long Island, New York, won that category. But I'm looking at that column now, it would probably be, if I were to do the predictions today, it would probably be more like Gulf Shores, Alabama. But Gulf Shores is my number two pick anyways. So I, I really have a feeling for that area, the northern Gulf, Gulf Shores, Alabama. Um, the next column over is really interesting. Well, the North Atlantic Oscillation is kind of new. But what I did is took all of the North Atlantic oscillation years where there's positive NAO in April and then 
look back in history since 1990 to figure out how many of the cities were impacted in positive April NAO conditions. And that doesn't tell you what it's going to be in August and September, but I'm just extrapolating it. And found out that the marathon area has been hit eight seasons when there's been a positive NAO since 1990. So that's pretty impressive. And then finally, the, the last category is the uh, trends since 1990, uh, since 1871, I'm sorry. Sable Island, again, wins that category. Eight times they were affected eight years after a brush. That was the last time they were affected. So that's a lot of times they've been hit eight years later. And they weren't hit any sooner than that, like five years later, four years later. But eight years later, that's happened eight times. So that's a pretty strong indication of a trend. And then, of course, the last column is the uh, whether they were ranked last year or not. And I love Youth Cuba wins that. So whoever has the most yellow boxes usually makes the top five. And my top five are Sable Island, Nova Scotia, number one. Gulf Shores, Alabama is number two. Number three is Marathon, Florida. Uh, number four is the Isle of Youth, Cuba. And number five is uh, the, um, uh, what did I have? The Cayman Islands, because they, they just are way overdue. And I really have a feeling for the Cayman Islands this year as well. When we're talking about you know Nova Scotia and Halifax. Um, does that include extra tropical systems, or are these fully tropical? Yes, that'll include extra tropical. That all the stats at Hurricane City based on brushes and hits are based on extra tropical, subtropical, and all tropical hurricanes and tropical storms. It, there's nothing excluded. In fact, your area there in North Carolina, the Outer Banks are the number one most affected area in the entire Atlantic Basin. In fact, they get brushed or hit by a tropical system once every seven years, 1.7 years, which is astounding. It's far more frequent return rate than most other cities in the Atlantic, than all other cities in the Atlantic Basin. The nearest one is uh, the, um, actually, Wilmington is very close and Moorhead City. All three of those cities are in the top five most affected areas in the Atlantic Basin by all storms. Lucky, lucky us, right? Well, I mean, look, you stick out in the Atlantic like a thumb, and all the systems that are recurving that are getting caught up in troughs are coming across and clipping the North Carolina area, or they come in from the Gulf of Mexico cutting through the what I call backdoor systems. They come in from overland. So the Carolinas, at least North Carolina, not South Carolina, but North Carolina is gets walloped on a regular basis. Well, you know, Jim, I can uh, attest to that. Uh, you know, your your pick for for Sable Island in that area. I don't know if um, if uh, Pete could switch over to my screen to show the sea surface temperatures, but you see this giant eddy uh, just south of Nova Scotia and the Gulf Stream and, and all this warm water. It's anomalously warm water up in that area right now. Uh, so anything following to the north up along the Gulf Stream is going to continue to get surface fueling. And that's probably very shallow warm water. I mean, all, all of the Gulf Stream is, is thermohaline current, so it's, it's a surface current. But it tends to get deep in the middle. Um, once you get up just south of Nova Scotia, up in that area off the, off the northeast coast, you get that um, cool water influx down from the north. <clears throat> so, yeah, that would be very interesting to see if, if your number one pick pans out this year. I, th I would think anything that heads to the north up along the eastern seaboard would uh, would likely become extra tropical by the time it reaches that area. Probably, uh, you know, ingesting some cool air from the north and, and trying to uh, occlude out the warm air. 
So that's a, that's a, a fair assumption. And exactly like you said, the positive NAO. I know it's not a sexy pick because there's nothing but horses living on that island, from what I understand. But, well, there's a few people that live there. I guess they maintain some kind of a building there or something. But uh, it's, it's just a little sliver of land that sticks out about, uh, I don't know, maybe 100 miles south of Nova Scotia. And a lot of systems, they're one of the most affected areas in the Atlantic Basin, believe it or not, that far north because they stick out. And a lot of these systems, just like with, with Cape Hatteras, they're recurving and they're clipping that island on the way out to sea. Uh, a lot of systems have passed just south of that island or right over it. And uh, it's not a hard pick to pick that island because kind of like Cape Hatteras, it, gets, it has a high frequent return rate. And all those criteria lined up for Sable Island. Uh, as the number one pick, but also of interest is since 2000, this is pretty interesting, there's been more landfalls north of 30 degrees than in any other time that I've been, that you go back to 1870s, there's been more landfalls north of 30, there's been an increase in it significantly. Now, I don't know if it's because of those warm sea surface temperatures you just showed, but there's been a definite increase in landfalls north of 30, and of course, Bermuda gets hit a lot too, so that that also factors into it. Yeah, there's the island, Sable Island. Uh, a few little buildings in the middle, and there's uh, mainly horses running around out there. Not sure how many horses live on that island, but uh, it depends on how the hurricane season goes. Yeah, I guess they just back into the wind, you know, like a cow, and they just yeah, you know, like the horses we have on the uh, North Carolina Outer Banks. You know, everyone worries about them after the storm, but they probably have. Managed through the storms better than the humans have over the years. Oh, nature knows how to survive. It's it's us humans that don't get it. And what <laughs> what drives me nuts is we put out these warnings. Well, I say we, the National Hurricane Center puts out these warnings every year, telling people this is what you can expect. This is, I mean, the whole Katrina thing was ridiculous. There's no rhyme or reason we should have 2,000 people dying in a hurricane in the 2000s, but yet. There's this reluctance to leave. I understand you want to protect your property and or you have pets or some other reason you don't want to leave, but your life isn't worth it. If, if you know that you're in a high-risk area, especially with the storm surge potential and especially with climate change and the waters rising higher and higher, why would you even take the risk? People need to really pay attention. And when they when the National Hurricane Center puts these Surge maps out, which we're going to have on Hurricane City, by the way. The uh, surge maps will open up on the main map there, uh, just with a with a thumbnail below it. But pay attention to those surge maps because you got to know if you're in an evacuation zone. There's no reason we should be seeing thousands, much less you know hundreds, much less thousands of people dying. Um, you know, I don't know if you guys caught the video I did of the predictions this year, but at the very beginning, Dr. Neil Frank from the National Hurricane Center, I'm sitting down with him at a conference, and we're talking about people dying in hurricanes, and I asked him, do you think we're going to see hundreds of people die in a hurricane again? And he's like, well, no, it's not hundreds we're worried about. It's thousands of people dying in a hurricane. And sure enough, right after that conference, that was 2005, here came Katrina, and the rest is history. Um, and I did predict that, by the way, on my predictions. I had a video saying that I expected a high death toll in the Gulf this year, and I've never said that in any other year. So that's pretty astounding. Uh, I, 
Never really got much credit for that call, by the way. It kind of peeves me a little bit, but I did call it. Nobody else in the industry that I know of called for that to happen in 2005. Certainly a uh, remarkable year and one that we kind of hope never comes back. So, Yeah, population's and, you know, not, only growing. And it's not just if I say something like that could potentially happen. It's also what I don't say. There have been people that have been mad that I don't pick their city to be impacted, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> But I tell them, look, it's not – you should be happy if I don't pick it, but a lot of the years that I don't pick it, they don't get affected. So it's not like I'm picking on your city saying, well, you're never going to get another hurricane. It's just that you know, most of the time if I don't pick your city, you're not going to get affected. Sometimes I will pick your city, and you're not going to get affected. And a lot of times I'm going to pick cities, and two of the – in fact, 2013 and 14, none of my none of my top five were impacted, which were horrible prediction years for me. Um, and there were other cities that were impacted. So I always tell people, this is just a general guidance. There are going to be areas hit that I don't even anticipate being hit. And, you know, Jim, that's something uh, you're talking about, Gulf Shores being your number two spot. Uh, it's been a while since the Gulf Coast has really experienced uh, a hurricane. I know we had uh, uh, Hermine last year that, that came in as a Category 1 uh, but, you know, overall, the, the, the state of Florida and even into the Gulf Coast, it's been a while since uh, a major hurricane's hit that area. Why do you think that is? And what do you think, uh, choose, kind of give us a little bit better idea of why Gulf Shores may be number two on your list or maybe even number one you're talking about, uh, you know, with some of the newest data coming out. Well, the reason there hasn't been any majors lately in the Gulf is because the wind shear has been ridiculous. Every system that's been in the Gulf has been lopsided. If you look at Hermine last year, it was having trouble getting its act together. Cullen last year, having its trouble getting its act together. Lopsided systems, all the convections on the right, very little on the, on the left side of the center of circulation. You have dry air working in all the time. Almost every single system that I've tracked in the northern Gulf of Mexico, for whatever reason, Rita, Katrina, all of them, even the majors, there's been dry air intrusion. When they approach the northern Gulf Coast, the dry air works its way into the southern circulation, and it gets this bat look, which is a dry air slot on the southern side of the circulation. And these storms, even when they make landfall, all the devastation in the wind is on the north quad, northeast quad. The southern quad isn't as intense because they've been all dried up as they come in. So that's my guess as to why there hasn't been as many intense hurricanes in the Gulf of Mexico is because of dry air and shear. Um, and a lot of systems have been turning before they get to the Gulf as well. A lot of uh, troughiness on the East Coast. There hasn't really been a lot of activity in the Gulf of Mexico, um, to be honest. It's, it's really been kind of sparse lately. But they've been sheared when they've been in there. So, uh, But as far as Gulf Shores being my number two, uh, Gulf Shores um, – well, they have, it, it, again, in my criteria, believe it or not, none of the Gulf Shores did not get any yellow boxes, but it uh, has two years where there's been impacts in 12 to 14 named storms, uh, two years when there's been Enzo analog years, like I'm predicting this year. Uh, they are not overdue for a named storm, but they are three years overdue for a hurricane, and they get hit when there's 13.66 named storms. So I think that's, that right there is an important factor. And uh, they've been hit four times when there's been a positive NAO in April. 
So, and, and also they have a trend of four times affected eight years after a hit. That was the last time they were hit. Uh, they were hit by a tropical storm eight years ago and four times since 1871 that's happened four years later. And, uh, I, you know, I've had the Northern Gulf in my site for the last couple of years. I think last year I had Fort Walton beach and the panhandle at a high risk in my top five Panama city beach was in my top five. So I think it's just a little shift to the West and I am expecting, um, that area in Alabama, Mississippi to get something this year. It doesn't mean it's going to be a hurricane. It could be a tropical storm. That's all it takes for me to get, to knock it off the list. That's and another, good, oh, oh, go ahead, Shane. Shane. I was, go ahead, Shane. I was going to add to, um, the Gulf, uh, you know, the Gulf has been an area, just like you said, uh, a high area of shear. And, and a lot of that's due to lack of the MJO signal. Uh, where you get a relaxed environment over the Gulf of Mexico aloft. Uh, you have, and during El Nino's, you tend to have these large Pacific ridges, uh, the North Pacific High in particular, which drives the jet stream around it, up and around and down, uh, down into the heart of the United States, the deep south. So you had last year, I saw at least two different times when there was potential in the Gulf, but there was just an upper trough digging all the way down to the Gulf and extending all the way across the southern tip of Florida. So until you get the subtropical jet to lift up and across, up over the Gulf states to relax that upper shear, then you end up having too much of a turbulent pattern in the Gulf of Mexico for anything to form. And so that's, that's kind of what we're um, looking to see what happens this year. Because the models are now starting to trend towards a very mild El Nino, uh, the, the latest plume viewer. And Nino regions 3, 3.4, and 4 are all, I don't know, they've just recently hovered around 0.4 to 0.5 degrees above normal. And that's going to be El Nino values if they hold for, you know, three-month, well, two-month period. Sometimes they elevate it or they go into watch mode. But for the most part, I think they're still expecting a neutral season until maybe late summer. So we'll, well have to see what happens with it. Yeah, there is still uh, an easterly flow in the eastern Pacific right now, which is keeping that um, uh, Kelvin wave in check. It's it's not allowing the, the the trade winds to blow from west to east to, to allow that hot water to build up over there. So I, I'm still a little skeptical about whether we're going to see – I mean, I guess we could maintain those temperatures out there. That's possible. Uh, but it looks like it's in a cooling, slight cooling trend. So I don't, I don't know if it's we're ever going to see an El Nino – anything of five, 0.5 or over at the height of the season. I don't know. Uh, but to, to go on your point about the winds coming over into the Gulf, you know, that's a good point because what we've seen, especially the last few years, is not much early season development. And that the Gulf of Mexico, especially if you chop it in half from, say, Mississippi, well, let's go with, yeah, Mississippi, Louisiana border, west towards texas they tend to get hit early in the season on average in fact they're the earliest in the entire basin for getting hit by named storms if you want to be early in the season and get tropical activity go to texas right so we've seen shear early and that's probably prevented these areas from being impacted a lot because they get a lot of the early season storms so if that pattern gets more favorable and maybe june july then we will see gulf development and it, could, it would most likely be in the Western Gulf or uh, Louisiana, um, maybe toward Mississippi. And then if the further east you go in the Gulf, it's a little bit later. You know, you get into late July and August. 
And then at the height of the season, you're still talking. You, I mean, look, we had Ike in what, September? Uh, what was it, September 20th or something? Ike was. I don't know if any of you guys remember the date on that, but that it made landfall in Galveston. Uh, but, I mean, generally speaking, it is August is their month for Texas. Uh, within a few occasional anomalies of September and October, I think they've been hit once in October. But, uh, you know, it's it's early season for the golf, and if things aren't favorable, then they don't get a lot of activity in the golf. Look at 2005. Uh, July, I think we had like eight storms or something, and they were all in the Gulf. A lot of them were going in the Gulf of Mexico, and it was favorable. Right. So I, I wanted to ask you also, um, with the warm bodies of, of water, the anomalously warm waters over in the intertropical convergence zone off of Africa, and uh, with the positive NAO and the warm body up around the Northeast, what are your thoughts for the Atlantic Basin to start the year? Other than if you take away the upper shear, what do you think the pattern could be over the next month? I think it's going to be tough in the Caribbean or the Gulf of Mexico for at least another few weeks. Um, I was kind of thinking we might get early season development in the Gulf, but now I'm looking at it and thinking, I don't know. This pattern is, there's a lot of shear out there. So I think we're going to get off to a late start. But then again, you know, Again, to reference 2005, that got off to a late start. And, uh, and then July, all of a sudden, things just took off like a racehorse. Um, I think we're going to start out, we're going to see something in the Gulf of Mexico, probably in July, June, late June or July. Uh, models are hinting maybe in a week or so we could see something in the Gulf. I think the shear is just too high right now to let anything develop out there. So I'm thinking late June, July, we're going to start seeing stuff in the Gulf probably the typical half-sheared systems, tropical storms, that type of thing. And then we're going to have to wait till the height of the season to see the big boys come rolling along. That could be a threat, uh, such as a Katrina or something like that. That's going to have to wait till the height of the season. Um, but, you know, anything's possible. Look, you know, 2004, that was an El Nino year. And we had 15 named storms. And that was a very active year for the Gulf of Mexico with Ivan and uh, – I know Dennis was in 2005. We had Ivan and we had Charlie. Um, and of course, the east coast of Florida got hammered too. So uh, that was an El Nino year. So don't even, even if people talk about the potential for an El Nino, it doesn't mean that it's going to be, uh, oh, just a few storms we got to worry about. It could be an active year, anyways. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, you always want to watch your, your upper steering, your upper pattern for, for El Nino patterns. But uh, how about homegrown systems? I wanted to ask you about that. You know, I was just talking earlier about a large ridge building down from Canada. And uh, a lot of times, especially earlier in the season, you still have these, these cold air masses or these large highs that built down. And they usually take something about what, 10, 1,030 millibars or higher, maybe a, a 500 millibar high uh, that parks to the north. And then any low pressures that develop along cold fronts, along tailings of cold fronts to the south tend to grow homegrown storms or, or storms that, uh, develop inland of uh, the southeast region or even the Gulf states and, and develop over the bodies of water once they enter the the oceans or the uh, the Gulf of Mexico. So talk to us a little bit about your sort of thoughts on homegrown systems. Well, you know, one thing I've noticed last uh, several big hurricanes that have came, come into the Gulf of Mexico, for example, like there's usually severe weather up in 
Iowa and Nebraska and South Dakota. And that's circling, that's the storms on the northern side of that uh, high pressure ridge you're talking about. They're probably on the tail end of a trough or something up that way. And then the clockwise flow usually allows more favorable conditions closer to home. And then we see the warm water. It taps into those warm waters down there in the Bahamas and the Western Caribbean and uh, you know, northeast of the Bahamas, the waters are really hot. The, the subsurface temperatures are really hot. And uh, you get a favorable environment. And that's what we've seen. A lot of close-to-home systems have found themselves in favorable environments, with the exception of the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, southeast, you know, off the southeast coast, that's a hot spot for favorable conditions right near the Bahamas. You know, the Bahamas are kind of like the outer banks of North Carolina. They're always getting hit. In fact, uh, great. Abaco Island is the most hit area by hurricanes in the entire Atlantic Basin, if you're counting hurricanes alone. So that's a really, really favorable area close to home is the Bahama Island. So that's where I'd be looking this year. Um, even though I don't have the Bahamas at high risk, I, in any given year, they're, they're sitting out there. Just, it's ripe, ripe uh, development area. Yeah, that's, that's about, you know, right along the, the heart of the Gulf Stream. Uh, they're just, just along the, the eastern side and then the outer banks, of course, taps into the western side so that the, you know any uh systems heading from south to north usually will will try to follow uh any, any kind of fueling bed below it or whatever the steering pattern does but it um yeah <laughs> outer banks southeast north carolina we don't need any more hits there they've had too much rain they're still recovering heck we're still trying to recover in charleston from our october 2015 flooding then we had matthew and, and so we we've just uh, we've been encountering some of the same flooding issues, but nothing nearly well, like what northern or northeastern South Carolina and southeast North Carolina have to deal with uh, with flooding issues, especially um, after last year. We had several tropical storms hit our coastline. We had three. Uh, in fact, they had to create a, a high resolution box just for the National Hurricane Center wrap up at the end of the year to show how many systems came and installed out in the southeast region. So. Uh, we're hoping that we don't fall into that category again this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised you're still above ground, to be honest with you. I mean, it, <laughs> you've had so many storms affect you that have just dumped tons of rain. I, it wasn't. It was way before Matthew. What did we have? Uh, um, Hermine. Not Ophelia. Uh, um, you had a bunch of backdoor systems affect them as well. And I'm not just talking about last year. I'm talking about previous years to that. You've had a lot of flooding up there. And there was a hurricane. I think it was Alex dumped a bunch of rain up in there. Um, it's been like, what, four? It seems like, to me anyway, three, four, five years in a row where you've just yeah. had tons of rain up in that area from tropical systems. It's like, that's right. it's amazing. It truly Arthur, is. Arthur in 2014, that was a July 4. Uh, July 3, July 4, landfall in southeast North Carolina. And, uh, you know, we're a cereal bowl here. That's what we are. We're just I, what you, let me it. ask you guys something. What, what do you think is going to happen with the Outer Banks? you think it's going to – how long is it going to take them to disappear? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, some of the uh, – what is it? Sea level SLR viewer from NOAA that's come out. They, they, they have their predictions. I have to look at the map. I haven't looked there. I've looked at Charleston. I've looked at Miami. Miami is actually uh, on a higher scale of, of flooding over and having serious issues. I think they're number one. And then you get up into Charleston area in Southeast North Carolina um, as third for flooding issues. But yeah, they're, um, 
the SLR viewer is the one that you should you should take a look at. Or if you're watching the show, uh, maybe I'll pull it up here in just a second and uh, show you folks. But uh, I know we're kind of coming on the nine o'clock hour. And uh, Scotty, I if want you want to mention why, why you have that map open? Oh, you just exited out of it. Okay, never mind. That you can zoom that map right down a street level, and it'll it'll give you your population centers. I, I don't know if if you're on my map or not. I don't know where you are. Are you on my map, or is that uh, some other map? Oh, that's oh, that's the best track. That's not the right map. Never mind. That's that's not the uh, main map. Okay. Um, all right. Can you guys hear me? Yep, we got you. Okay. I thought my uh, my computer at first. All right. But yeah, we we are getting close to the nine o'clock hour. Is, Ricky, do you have uh, anything else you want to? Uh, uh, I wanted uh, Jim to talk about cane talk real quick because it seems like a, a good spot for people to kind of talk hurricanes, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, cane talk is our message board at Hurricane City, and we have a lot of people in there that really know their stuff. Um, we don't differentiate between professionals and amateurs. We just everybody's equal there, and there's a lot of people that are kind of incognito in there. They may be professional meteorologists. We don't know, but Everybody uses nicknames, and, and there's a lot of good people in there that share maps and pictures and data, and it's a great community. It's been around for a long time, canetalk.com, and I, I'm in there all the time as well. well I, I'd like to be in there more during the season, but a lot of times I'm busy, but uh, there's a lot of people that are very knowledgeable. Chris Hollis from tropicalatlantic.com, he puts out a lot of... He, puts out a lot of the data at Hurricane City, and he's in the message board all the time, and he handles all the hurricane hunter reports, and it's a great community in there, so check that out. All righty, very cool. Well, I'll throw it over to Scotty. Thank you, Jim, for uh, joining us tonight. It's been a pleasure having you, and uh, we'll let Scotty wrap up the show. I appreciate you guys having me on. I'm sorry about the camera problem. Oh, no problem, Jim. And, and the last question I have for you before we kind of close off is, uh, you know, you've given your list of top 20 places to hit, and obviously we know there's hurricane-prone areas. Um, as tomorrow starts the uh, the tropical season, what is uh, what is your advice and, and word to um, all of our listeners tonight, or, or maybe those who are catching us on the rebroadcast that that either live at the coast or have uh, family at the coast or have property at the coast? Uh, what do you want them to uh, come away with tonight, and what advice would you give them as we come into uh, the tropical season? Okay, well, let me just say this, uh, and I, I was—I wanted to get this out early, and I'll try to be quick. But the NOAA forecast of seven to eleven named storms really kind of upsets me a little bit because it's a very wide range of possibilities. There's seven different possibilities of the amount of named storms, but the average Joe doesn't know what that means at all. That they, they have no idea what seven storms versus eleven storms—I mean, eleven versus uh, seventeen named storms—is. They don't know what that means. That's what I do at Hurricane City is try to clear that up and let people know what areas could be impacted based on an average season of 12 to 14 named storms. But what people need to be aware of is um, whether they're in a flood zone or not, that's the most important thing, whether you're in an evacuation zone. And if you are in an evacuation zone, learn how to get out of the area, when to get out of the area. Talk to your neighbors that have been through other hurricanes and kind of find out what they're doing. They might have a better idea of how it floods in your area or whether it's, you know, you definitely got to get out or, yeah, you could probably stick it out if it's a Category 1 or 2 or something. But uh, just be familiar. Talk, if you're new to the area, talk to your neighbors and become familiar with the terrain of the land um, and where the shelters are and what, what you need to do. Um, 
and of course, watch your local news as the, you know, tomorrow there's going to be a whole bunch of hurricane programs on where you can learn what you need to prepare for a hurricane. That's not really not my expertise, but uh, that's the best place to watch your local news. And there's all kinds of sources on the internet to learn how to prepare for hurricanes. All right, Jim, we appreciate you being along with us tonight. Uh, go ahead, promote your uh, social media, your website once again, how our followers can uh, follow you throughout the hurricane season. And if they need to contact you, uh, give them that uh, outlet as well. All right, you can reach me on Twitter, at Hurricane City, on Facebook, facebook.com slash Hurricane City Tracking. And... You can email me, jim at hurricanecity.com. I'm the kind of person that if you ask me a question on social media, I will get back to you. I'm not going to ignore you or mute you. Uh, I will get back to people and ask their questions as long as I have the time. Sometimes I'm really swamped if I'm in a hurricane chasing it or something. Uh, but uh, I, I will get back to you. Sounds good. And, and Jim, maybe we can uh, get you back on the program uh, sometime this winter and kind of uh, do a little re review of, of your predictions and review of the hurricane season altogether. Sure, I would love that very much. I, anytime you want me in the show, I'm happy to join you. Awesome. Well, we appreciate it. Good luck this season out there. If you do get to uh, go chase some hurricanes, stay safe, and we'll definitely uh, push your uh, your your uh, website and any videos and stuff like that across our social media platforms as well, so our viewers can uh, see that. So. Jim, once again, thanks for joining us. Uh, next week, we will have Tony Rice on the show. We'll kind of talk about the eclipse that's coming up in August, August 21st. So Tony is uh, going to join us, kind of give us uh, the lowdown of, of what to expect and where the best places to view and kind of uh, talk all things eclipse because, guys, uh, we're, we're coming to uh, towards August pretty quickly, and this is going to be a big event uh, throughout the entire country. And, Shay, you're in the prime spot for it because uh, I think it goes right over uh, Charleston. That's right. With the last spot in the United States, it's going to pass over. So uh, we're going to rent our house out for five grand for the weekend. So if you want to come <laughs> stay, come on down. <laughs> there you go. So uh, Tony Rice will join us next week. So we hope uh, that you'll join us uh, and, and watch that. It's going to be a, a very informative show, and uh, I know you'll enjoy it. Tony's a great guy. So for all of us here at the Carolina Weather Group, we hope you have an outstanding week. Uh, the rest of the week, have a great weekend, and we will see you back here next Wednesday night at 8 p.m. with Tony Rice. Have a good one.